Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Steve Grosso, Brian Kelly, Carter, Werther, and Bonowin Eisen. Tonight on Fast, follow the yellow brick road. Why the chartmaster sees a golden opportunity for investors heading into August. Plus, tick tock talk. Just wait till you hear who is reportedly interested in buying the wildly popular social media app. And later, we're counting down to Disney's earnings. Will this be a fairy tale quarter for the Magic Kingdom? We'll bring you the trade. But we start off with Apple surging into the close to end the day up more than 10 percent. That is yet another all-time high and its best day since mid-March. And get this, Apple gained 14 percent since Monday, its best week since 2006. So is Apple now the king of the market? Brian Kelly, you're worried about price action today's session. We're worried about opening at the highs, never seen those highs again. And here we have great price action. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah, so the, last night and then even this morning, I was very concerned that we had these blockbuster earnings from big tech and the market just was not responding. I will tell you, though, the standout was Apple all day long. And so that gave me a little bit of confidence. And then you saw it just continue to be strong the whole time. So let's look at Apple. What, what happened, right? They had tremendous earnings. They've got multiple cat, uh, catalysts coming up. And this narrative about the services becoming a bigger part of their, uh, their earnings is actually starting to take hold. So now you can argue, uh, and of course, you, know, you can argue that it would, it would deserve a higher P.E. ratio. I find P.E. ratios to be absolutely absurd, but that's an aside. As long as everybody else believes it needs a higher P.E. ratio, then it gets a higher P.E. ratio. And here we are. Bono, and what'd you make of the action? <laughs> Uh, listen, I mean, BK or Beakers, I'm not sure what you're calling him these days, but I mean, he knocked it out of the park just like Apple did. I mean, if you look across their verticals, uh, Macs are up in terms of sales, wearables are up in terms of sales, the service business, although um, came in slightly lower than, than expected, I still think that was up about 15%, $6 billion in revenue for the quarter, 258 uh, per share. I mean, there's not much not to like. I think the story leading up to it was whether or not these big tech companies could justify their valuations or whether or not they were just a safe haven. And we've seen and they've shown that this is a two-pronged attack. They do have fortress balance sheets. They are still very much a growth story. I think you continue to ride this trend higher. I think, though, at, at this point, with a 10.5% move in a single day, Steve Grasso, what can get us to the next level in terms of P.E., especially for a company that is not providing guidance? And granted, not many companies out there are providing guidance for even the remainder of this year. But a company like Apple, uh, you know, with these games, do you need that? Uh, I don't know if you need it, but what, I think what you, what you need, you have. You have the split. You have the four for one. I think retail is going to be chasing that. Uh, the, the split, uh, the retail is going to be chasing the dividend. There's going to be a couple things they're chasing, and they have them all. But if you look at hardware, $215 billion in hardware. You have 46 and change, maybe $47 billion in services. Uh, Bonowin said it's a growth story. 
market didn't believe it was a growth story. Now it's starting to see it's a growth story. I'm wearing the wearables right here. That's a bigger story than ever. I, I was tempted to get back in today, <laughs> Melissa. I told you last night. On I didn't move, get back in yet. On this move, you're going to get I, back I, in? No, I, I can't. I can't get back in on this move. But sometimes you have to hold your nose and not let your own thoughts sort of talk you out of a trade. I do believe it goes higher into that split date in late August. I could miss another 5 to 10% in this stock move because I'm being too proud. Carter Worth, there are a few things that Steve Grasso said that I wanted to ask you about. For one, um, will there be a, a run into the stock before the split? Have we seen that? In the, I mean, this is, what I think, the fifth split for Apple or the sixth split for Apple. Have we seen this before? Uh, and what does the chart look? Was this a breakout today? Sure. I mean, obviously, it's a gap up on exceedingly heavy volume to a new 52-week high and all-time high. But I think one thing that uh, comes to mind is maybe it was about a week ago and we were on together. We all talked about which was going to be the first one to get to yes. $2 trillion. Mm -hmm. I picked Amazon. I know, Bonwin, you picked uh, uh, Amazon. I think maybe someone else might have. But here we are, and it obviously looks as though Apple, at least at this pace, is the one that's going to get there at, at $1.8 plus. Uh, so the thing is this. There's always another way to interpret it. The price action today, it didn't fade, as some would have thought. I actually thought that was going to happen, and, and BK uh, mentioned it. But here's the thing that seems curious. Despite all of this, and it was one heck of a day, mm -hmm. the, the QQQ still didn't make a new high. It was the day, it was the 13th, mid-month of July, Netflix flubbed its earnings report, and that still remains the high, meaning with Apple doing this and Amazon doing this um, and Facebook, we couldn't make a new high. We're still below where we were on the Netflix uh, slip. That seems curious, and uh, I think it's something that needs to be uh, sort of taken note of. So, so when you say it's curious and it needs to be taken note of, are you, are you saying basically that there could be some weakness in tech, tech overall that Apple, the strength in Apple, is now masking? Well, no, it's not so much that. It's that, that if there's such thing as latent potential, i.e. you have potential before an earnings, and then you have exploitation of potential. After earnings, you beat, let's say, as Apple did, uh, as Facebook did. And now what? Meaning, are you get immediate follow-through uh, on Monday or Tuesday? Do you get the cues to new high? We've expended a lot of energy. We've had fundamental results. And still, we set our high for the NASDAQ as far back as the 13th of July, and now we're August 1. It just seems curious that it couldn't make a new high right. with all of the good news today. Uh, you know, BK, the one thing that we didn't touch on in regards to the stock split is the impact it would have on the Dow versus the S&P 500. You split Apple and, of course, price-weighted index like the Dow. You're then diluting the impact of Apple. You're only taking a quarter, right, of, of the gains that would be a positive for the Dow in the S&P 500. So that divergence, we could actually see that grow as time goes on because of the split. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's interesting. This split is going to be very important. And, you know, I loved how Carter described it as latent potential. Mm -hmm. There's been times in my life that I've been described as having I latent potential. I hope I potential. have latent potential, uh, too. I mean, I hope it's still in there. <laughs> exactly. Not fully exactly. So, <laughs> right. um, but, but I do think, I, as crazy as it is, it, it shocks me every time. But when a stock splits, people seem to like it. It goes up. There's nothing different about the company. Nothing's changed no. whatsoever except the price of the stock is lower. And human beings like to buy a full share, 100 shares. They want to own one Apple. They, so it, it's a crazy thing. 
Uh, but given the fact that this market it has a propensity to be retail driven, I actually think going into the end of the month, that's going to be a catalyst for this stock. Uh, but as you say, you're talking about four or five companies that are, I do think they could be masking some weakness. Makes me a bit concerned. We saw, you know, the bond market this morning was uh, yields were a little bit higher. That would not be good uh, for this trade. So there's there's things on the horizon that I'm cautious about. Uh, and with euphoria like this, I get extra cautious. Uh, but but in the terms of Apple, I think just going into that split, it's it's you're going to have retail traders pile into it. Wait, hold on, BK. When you say bond yields or a little bit higher, what I mean hmm. by how much? I think I miss, I must have missed that. Well, <laughs> you must have missed it. But well, so here, here's what was curious about it, right, is that when the stock markets were falling this morning, right. you actually saw yields tick higher a bit. Okay. And so if we're talking about negative real rates, and I don't want to get too wonky, but that's driving a lot of this market. That's the drumbeat. If that starts to reverse, right. then it's going to be, you know, then big tech's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, Bono, and you're not worried. You, you say stick with the tech trade. Absolutely. I mean, I've been bullish for quite some time. And listen, there were some headwinds there. We've got the whole political risk. We've got, you know, Facebook has their own issues. We've got antitrust and and things of that nature. But I think a lot of the issue was leading up to see whether or not earnings justified the moves. Now we have clarity. For me, it's on to the next thing. Um, And yes, you know, we have seen a bit of decoupling from these particular names from the overall market. That's that's very healthy. You want to see some stock picking when it's a high tide raising all of the boats indiscriminately. That's what really starts to give me pause. But the fiscal, economic and geopolitical risk are still there. I still think there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of the overall uh, economic picture. But what we do now have is very succinct, succinct and clear data around the the market leaders. And um, I, I, I think that bodes well for us going forward. By the way, we mentioned retail traders in Apple. Robin Track just tweeted that Apple was the number one, uh, number one stock in terms of the top increases in the number of users holding a stock today on the Robinhood app. So we did see that chase into Apple today. Meantime, we are following a developing story on TikTok. Microsoft is in talks to buy the popular video sharing app. Let's get to Julia Borson, who's got the details. Julia. That's right, Melissa. Microsoft is in talks to acquire TikTok from its parent company, Chinese ByteDance. This according to a source close to the situation. Now, this comes after President Trump said earlier today that he's considering banning TikTok or considering taking other options around TikTok, which could include forcing ByteDance to sell that company. Now, TikTok, which is reportedly valued at about $50 billion, that's about half of ByteDance's valuation, has raised concerns with U.S. authorities about Chinese influence, censorship, and also questions around user privacy. TikTok telling us it's confident in the long-term success of the platform, saying, and quote, while we do not comment on rumors or speculation, we are confident in the long-term success of TikTok uh, and that they're motivated by the passion of the hundreds of millions of users and that it's, quote, committed to protecting their privacy and safety. Wedbush's Dan Ives just issuing a note saying Microsoft acquiring TikTok makes a strategic sense, saying it would resolve TikTok's security issues 
uh, and also give Microsoft a crown jewel in the consumer social media front at a time that Facebook and Google are under massive regulatory scrutiny. But for Microsoft, it would be a meaningful move away from its focus on the enterprise space. We did get a no comment from Microsoft. Melissa, back over It is notable, Julia, of course, you know this, that that, uh, TikTok CEO is a U.S. Uh, CEO, formerly from Disney. Why is it not raised as a possibility that this division of this company, ByteDance, could actually be spun out into a separate company, given the, the appetite these days for social media companies? Look, that's definitely one of the options here. I think it's really notable, as you mentioned, the hiring of Kevin Mayer. He was very senior at Disney. He ran Disney's streaming service and international division, responsible really for the launch of Disney+. And his hiring, I think, was really a statement that TikTok's U.S. operations are a U.S. company, um, really intending to, to stake a claim there that they're willing to do whatever it takes to keep TikTok operating here in the U.S. And Melissa just also speaks to the huge growing popularity of this app. Um, pretty remarkable how fast it's grown. Yep. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston uh, with the latest on TikTok. Steve Grasso, uh, if Microsoft mm-hmm. said tomorrow that they are buying TikTok, would you like Microsoft more or less? I would like Microsoft more. But what was interesting about what Julia said was if Facebook is under the scrutiny of D.C., then wouldn't Microsoft start getting under the scrutiny of D.C. if they did this deal as well? That's the first question that I ask. So I'm not sure you want to be in that in that uh, camp, but I think this is a perfect deal because everything that Microsoft has or the majority of, of what they have is business facing. This is a totally different angle. Who do I think should be a buyer of this, though? It should be Google. Google should be in the running. Any of these large cap tech stocks can do this deal. Google has no social platform and has failed at it multiple times. This would be a great gift to Apple. This would be a huge gift for Google. It was, it's not a matter of cash. We all know all these guys have cash. It's a matter of the fact that just days ago, they were all sitting in front of Congress with their hands up saying that they're going to tell the truth. Every single company had the CEO there except for Microsoft. And, and maybe that, for that reason, Microsoft could do this deal. But strategically, to me, Carter, I don't know. It makes no sense for a company that is so focused on enterprise to then all of a sudden go into consumer when their only consumer presence is really a, a couple of maybe Surface tablets and an Xbox. Not to downplay the Xbox. Right, it's great, it also, but... <laughs> right, and also it doesn't move the needle. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Microsoft, more so than any of these companies, is... Is, is a utility, uh, if you will. It's the Johnson & Johnson of 1985. And, okay, so they do the TikTok uh, move. I'm not sure it really is all that relevant, unless, uh, as implied, they're going to build out a huge uh, new arm, a new division, a new... Uh, and I just don't think that's what they're up to. Carter has some real gems. Microsoft is the Johnson & Johnson of 1985. I think that is going to live in history as one of the greatest lines spoken on Fast Money. All right, we're following a developing story here on Kansas City Southern, the stock hitting an all-time high on some takeover talk. Let's get to Leslie Picker, who's got the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. hate to be a Debbie Downer here, but I want to urge investors to temper their expe- expectations on this one. A source tells me it's true that the two groups, Blackstone's Infrastructure Fund and Global Infrastructure Partners, 
are preparing a bid for Kansas City Southern and that they've approached at least one bank to arrange financing. But these are very early days. I'm told no talks have even begun between the consortium and KSU management. And there's no guarantee that a formal formal offer will even be presented. Regardless, a buyout of KSU would require a hefty check, about $21 billion, including debt. Melissa. All right. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Uh, the quarter that they just reported, BK, was was OK, given the economic circumstances. There are some concerns about whether, you know, if the economy remains in a downturn, how it will will weather that with the volumes. And it's also got that extra special layer of exposure to Mexico, which may also be tricky. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the big thing. This has kind of been the um, the NAFTA trade war trade, right? So Kansas City Southern, the big part of what they do is they're transporting cars and other goods from Mexico back into the U.S. So there's always kind of a geopolitical risk there. Um, You know, in terms of this deal, it certainly makes sense at this point in time that private equity that are swimming in cash would be looking for kind of big deals like this to do. And this is kind of a classic private equity deal. You can model cash flows. You can do all those type of things. Um, But as a trader, you know, I would be a bit cautious. It had a pretty big run here today. Sounds like it's really early stages. Doesn't mean it doesn't get done, but it doesn't mean that it gets done at the prices we are at today. I think it got a little ahead of itself. And I think uh, you you also want to think, do you want to be, does one want to be in this trade that is so leveraged to a recovery in the economy, Bono? And I don't know how you feel about that, but your leanings towards tech would tell me that you probably not be in this camp to buy Kansas City Southern or Railroad for that matter? Um, you're extremely perceptive. I, um, <laughs> I think there's, <laughs> I think there's, um, or maybe I, maybe I just, uh, I'm not very good at playing my cards close to vets. Probably a, a mixture of both. But um, uh, listen, I think there's much better ways to play the recovery story. I can understand it. I, I would think, I'm going to take a gander here, that the logic behind it is that, listen, you have the, the economy in a suppressed situation, which might make for somewhat of a discount. But at $20 billion or $21 billion, when each of these funds, I believe, are 15 and $20 billion, uh, respectively, I, I don't see the, 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 the value that's unlocked at point of transaction, which is really what you should be looking for at this point in time. Yep. Coming up, going for gold, the precious metal on a historic run. But is there any shine left in this rally? The chart master will break it all down for us. Plus, Disney earnings on deck. Is the stock losing its magic here? We will bring you that trade when Fast Money returns. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back to Fast Money. Some news crossing within just the past 45 minutes on the U.S.'s credit rating. Fitch downgrading its outlook to negative from stable. Fitch saying the downgrade reflects the ongoing deterioration in U.S. public finances in the absence of a credible fiscal consolidation plan. And this all, of course, comes as U.S. Treasury yields hit record lows. The dollar continues to weaken. The dollar, in fact, seeing its biggest monthly drop in nearly a decade, while gold had its best month since February of 2016. The metal hitting a fresh all-time high today breaking above 2000 for the first time ever. So will gold continue to rally? Let's get the chart master's take. Carter, what are you looking at? 
Well, sure. It's all about tactical versus structural. We know structurally this is sort of overt uh, currency debasement. Uh, we know that gold is nowhere near its all-time high. Adjusted for inflation, that's around 2,700 an ounce, and we're only at 2,000. But tactically, it's getting a bit crowded. People who hated it love it, and that's usually a time to do some hedging. Let's look at some data, some tables, and so forth. So the first you have here is just the circumstance where gold has been up eight weeks in a row. Now, in the history of the data, that's happened four other times. There are 2,372 rolling eight-week periods. So that's an instant rate of 0.14%, eight weeks in a row. Uh, take a look at the next table. What has happened uh, those four other times? Well, looking out one month, three months, six months, uh, uh, the odds of gold being up uh, are fairly low. And in fact, uh, gold, if you look at the um, sort of median return, is actually negative on a one, three, and six month basis. And then look at the chart of gold. It's a bit steep. It's a bit uh, crowded. It's got a lot of people uh, who now like it. And so often that's a time to hedge, uh, take some measures. Now let's talk about silver. It's a similar circumstance. Take a look at this slide. Silver is also up eight weeks in a row. That's only happened six times going back to the 70s. So you're talking about six out of, again, 2,372 rolling uh, eight-week periods. What is the probability of that occurring? Well, you can see it there. It's 0.25%. These are exceedingly rare uh, moments. Now, what has happened thereafter? Same setup. Take a look at the next uh, table. Uh, silver on a one, three, six-month basis. The odds of being up are low. And in fact, you get a, a give back, a drawdown. Does it have to do that? Of course not. But it's, again, tactical versus structural. Structural, silver to new highs at 50. Gold, 3,000. But tactically, it's getting a little hot. Take a look at the chart of silver. Final chart here. And what do we know? It's a textbook breakout at the 20 level. And so it's really about sort of balancing one's longer-term view versus how one might hedge or take some measures. Just to put this in context, here's a data point that is very telling. In three out of the past seven sessions, over one million contracts have traded in SLV. In the history of the entire ETF, it's never on any given day traded a million contracts. Three of the past seven, over a million. That's when typically there's a panic. Do some hedging. So taking a look at the historical um, performance, you know, six months out, it does seem clear, Steve, that silver is the more dangerous trade given the mean decline that we've seen in silver after, after those runs. It, it could be. But the only thing I will say is that Carter does excellent work, but past, before, past performance in this event and in this market, we've all seen sort of means nothing. So I think you can see a day where gold is going to be trading at $3,000 an ounce. So I, I think that is what we were focused on. Silver, you might have a little more of the trader, the Robin Hood in it. But I think gold is going much higher from here. It's different this time sure, around, let me BK. Just, uh, I mean, oh, I'll yeah. Just... So, go ahead, Carter. Last word. <laughs> let me, I mean, obviously... Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, Steve is actually making the point. It's structural versus tactical. Structurally, right. it's the same game. Rates to zero, gold to infinity. But uh, talking about precedent, we're talking about periods when silver went to 50. I mean, these are, these are data tables that account for periods where it's more extreme. We're nowhere near that. And still, it's hot day to day. All right. Longer term is the same. The trend is the same. But shorter term, be careful. Right, Carter? 
Indeed. All right. Coming up next, we got your final trades. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. It's time we have, Annie. It's time for the final trade. Bono and Eisen. I'm going to come up with a uh, constructive way to play the reopening, at least the way I'd play it. Looking at Caterpillar, uh, best ROE in class, ex- exposure to institutions as opposed to retail. Carter. If you have precious metals, that's great. But this is a time also to add some Bitcoin and Ethereum. Am I talking to BK? <laughs> Steve. Wow. Trinseo, TSE, still undervalued. TSE. BK. Uh, you know what? Buy Apple, latent potential, and I love Carter's Bitcoin and Ethereum. All right, options actions up next. And welcome back. It's peanut buttery, it's chocolatey, it's the flavor merger America craved. That's right, the Peanut Butter Group and Chocolatey Corp have become one. With Chocolatey Corp bringing indulgence to the table and Peanut Butter's eat-anytime ability, it's easy to see how their Jif peanut butter and chocolate-flavored spread will revolutionize snacking. One stock trader even told me, and I quote, Normally I just buy and sell, but this I'm going to eat. Experience the Jif PBC hype today. 